I was finalizing like 2022, 2020, what is next year? 2022 and like finalizing plans, working on my calendar, so on and so forth. And I was looking at my financial statement and my investment portfolio and like all the things. And I realized that in this calendar year, your girl has profited more than a million dollars. Profit. I'm not talking about cash collected. I'm not talking about cash flow. I'm not talking about revenue. I'm talking about after expenses, after taxes, after paying for my software, paying for team, paying for contractors. Your girl has profited more than a million dollars. And I wanted to hop on tonight because one, y'all, as somebody said, you guys like watching me cry. Um, I love being able to document these moments real time. I love being able to document these moments real time because it's a reminder for me. Like as I, when, you know, tomorrow, a month from now, a year from now, when I'm doubting myself or getting stuck into self-sabotage cycles or whatever, um, it's really beautiful to come back and watch these moments. But I think it's really beautiful to document these parts of the journey because for you, because I remember when I was in your shoes, I remember a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, five years ago, I remember 25 years ago when I was a kid, you know, praying for my situation to be something different, like feeling so defeated because I didn't know anybody who was in a situation who had what I dreamed of having. Like there can be all these moments of self-doubt and second guessing and like you hear what God is telling you, but you like, bro, but like make this make sense here in the flesh, like make this make sense given my circumstances. So I love documenting these moments because so many of us, wherever you are right now in your journey, I've probably been there, you know, at some point during mine, you know, trying to get my very first paid client, trying to figure out why my $37 a month membership ain't hitting, like wondering why, um, you know, I, I can't, I keep getting all these sales objections when I try to raise my price to what I think it's supposed to be valued at, like when I'm trying to get my first, you know, complaining because only two people join my group coaching program, like um, being absolutely terrified of success the first time I had my first $10,000 a month, like feeling like a one hit wonder when I had my first six figure year, like there's no way that I can do this again. I'm a fraud. I, I, like, I'm not capable of this. Like, you know, the first time, um, like all these moments, like there's been all these moments at some point, you've probably either experienced something similar or at some point you maybe you're going through it right now. And I know God, everything that has happened in my life is because of him. And it is because I have been willing to be obedient to allow him to use me. So I just feel such a responsibility at these huge moments of time to make sure that I'm actually sharing them and documenting this journey with you and just giving you insight on it. Because if nothing else, I just hope that I'm a proof, like I hope that I'm a possibility model for you. And I hope that you know, maybe you see somebody who looked like you, who got same hue as you, um, who maybe came from a similar environment as you, who maybe grew up a similar way as you, that like this is available for all of us. This is available for all of us. And for anybody here who is just impatient who feels like, like, why is this taking me so long? Like, who feels like, God, like, why? Like, I don't understand why this is taking so long for this to pop off. Like, just for you to, to keep you faithful, to keep you in, in alignment and to encourage you to remain obedient to whatever he has called you to do at this season, not to, not to be obedient to your comfort zone. And 
It's just like, God, your life can change in a blink of an eye. Like, when you really, really think about it, your whole world can change. Like, this all happened for me within five years. In five years, I went from working a corporate job. I was an engineer making like $75,000 a year. Within five years, within five years, I'm in a position now where my business has put me in a position where I have profited more than a million dollars in a calendar year. Within five years. All that happened in five years. Like when you really, really think about that, when I look at my, when I look at my life expectancy, okay? Like you think about, let's say I'm gonna live, I, I really believe I'm gonna live at least 90 years. You think about what, like what's five years out of 90? Like that's a blip of the eye. Like that's nothing. That's half a decade you were able to go from having a negative net worth to having more than a million dollars in net worth, like in less than five years. I And I'm black, y'all. <laughs> my mama left me when I was two years old. My grandmother and my aunt raised me. Like, I put myself through college. Like, I've experienced, you know, sexual harassment and sexual traumas and sexual abuse. Like, if I can do it, you can too. Like, I'm just, I'm sharing this of like, many of us have gone through so much shit and gone through so much, like, gone through so much. We've overcome so much. And I'm just here to tell you that like, God is faithful. He is so consistent. He is so consistent. <sighs> Thank you guys for celebrating with me. It means the world to me. I see so many of my clients on here. You guys are incredible. Thank you guys to, for contributing to this moment. Oh my gosh. Okay, anybody have questions? I would love to do q and I don't need, my brain can't even like... That's all I know what to share. Uh, Major Cash Boss said, what is the most important thing that you learned in business? Oh, gosh. What's the most important? I don't know the most. Like the, I think, um, what is the most important thing? I mean, I don't know if this is the most important, okay? But like important things that I've learned in business, simplicity scales, simplicity scales, the simpler your business model, the simpler your marketing channel, the simpler your sales process, the fa- the easier it'll be for you to make more money. Simplicity scales. Um, other important business lessons is like your success is dependent on the pace at which you're willing to be obedient. Your success is 100% dependent on the pace at which you're willing to be obedient. And I mean obedient to what you've been called to do, not obedient to your comfort zone. Like I've noticed every time where I've had a, a point in business where I almost like quit. My first $10,000 in revenue, I almost quit. First $100,000 year, I almost quit. First $300,000 year, I almost quit. First million dollar year, I almost quit. Like every time I had these like moments where... Gosh, I do not want to cry. I just got my lashes done. So I'm really trying to keep my tears in check because you know like the first day that you get your lashes done like you're not really like supposed to sweat <laughs> you're not really supposed to get the lashes wet <laughs> so I'm really trying not to cry but there's been so many times where I wanted to quit where I thought it was too hard where like it was so incredibly intense and in those moments I had to ask myself like what are, who are you doing this for are you doing this for your ego? Or are you doing this because that's what you've been called to do? 
Like, who are you really doing this for? Are you doing this for your ego? Are you doing this for your pride? Are you doing this for public recognition from people you don't even freaking know on the internet? Who are you really doing this for? And when I when I really would have these moments, I'm like, who are you really doing this for? And I would sit down and I would check myself up. So I, so I had to recommit to doing this for him. I had to recommit to like not me doing this out of my own might, not me doing this like for myself, not me doing this for some sort of like self-validation, not me doing this for the followers on Instagram, not me doing this um, so somebody else online could like put me on a pedestal. Like who am I really doing this for? And any time in those moments, that's probably the most important thing is like reminding myself of really why am I doing what I'm doing? I'm doing this because I've been called to do it in this season. And there's been activities, actions, responsibilities, effort that was required of me that like I had like I had to do not what I wanted to do, not what Jerisha thought she was capable of doing. I had to do what he called me to do, what his assignment was for me, what he instructed me to do. And, and one thing about God, don't always feel like his assignments are beyond our capability. <laughs> like in my mind, in my logical mind, in my human mind, I'd be like, I hear what you're saying, but bruh. I don't think I'm qualified for that. He didn't ask if he, if you were qualified. He didn't ask you do the thing that you think you qualify for. He Those were never part of the instruction manual. He said, just do what I tell you to do. Be obedient to what you've been called to do. Follow the assignment that I have put in front of you. You say, you know, you asking for help. Yeah. Guess what? I deliver blessings through people. So those people that are in front of you, pay them people, hire them people, receive the help from them people. I don't care what you said you wanted to do, how you wanted to do it. It ain't got nothing to do with that. Do it the way that I instructed you to do it. Receive the help that I put in front of you to, like, to do it. Like, it's so hard to do that. It is so hard to do that. <laughs> That's probably the most important lesson I've learned in business. It all starts with him. Stay in alignment with him. Be obedient to him. Like remain, in, like remain in accordance with what he has called you to do. Because the thing is, like, I love what um, somebody said here. There's never an instruction manual for the toughest jobs in life. There's not an instruction. Like, that's the thing. We want the instruction manual. We want to see every step of the process before we pursue. And that is not how God works. God gives you enough light to take the next step. He doesn't give you, he usually doesn't give you the light to see the entire tunnel. He gives you enough light to see the next step. And that's where faith steps in. That's where faith is required. We want to see the whole manual. We want to read through all 115 pages of the manual, understand what it's going to look like, and then decide, oh, oh, this is what the end's going to be. Okay, then I'll do it. That's not how he works. Because how whatever end goal, whatever destination we dream of, the thing about God is he has exceeded every one of the expectations that I set for myself. He has amplified every expectation that I set for myself. He has expanded the territory and compounded the abundance of every single thing that I thought I wanted. So the thing is that we asking for an instruction manual to see every step of the process for a destination that's going to be bigger than where we're actually going to end up if we remain obedient. So I think that's the thing. Like we always want to know, like, well, I want to know what the outcome is going to be. Are you willing to do it even despite you not knowing what the outcome is? 
That's what's required. Like that to me is probably the, the most important thing I've learned in business. When people are like, well, I want to know what's going to happen before I do it. Are you willing to do it without knowing what's going to happen? People say, I want to know how long, how long it's going to take for me to get to X. Are you willing to do it even though you don't know how long it's going to take? That's the real test. That is the real test. <sighs> okay. Heather, hey, Heather. Uh, Heather said, how did you keep from self-sabotaging your success as you grew? Heather, I absolutely self-sabotaged myself as I grew. You can't avoid it. I don't think you can avoid it. If somebody here has figured out how to avoid self-sabotaging in route to success, please send me a direct message. Please pop in the comments and let us know how you did that. I did not keep myself from self-sabotaging. I absolutely self-sabotaged. I still self-sabotage. I don't think it's that that's probably something that I've had to come to terms with is that I'm going I'm going to get in my own way. And the reason is is that I think sometimes um you're going to get in your own way, but that's how you learn how to get out of your way. Cause if you never got in your way in the first place, like you wouldn't, you know what I'm saying? Like we, you, you it just, it's just part of the process. It's part of the process. As sucky as it is, as uncomfortable as it is, as just ugly and grueling and like, ugh, it just, I, I, I have not avoided it. Um, I've learned from it and I've learned how to manage the triggers of it and I've learned how to bounce back quicker from it and I've learned how to because uh, the thing is the moment that you figure out how to avoid an area of self-sabotage guess what a new form of self-sabotage peaks its head up or the same version of that self-sabotage pops back up but pops back up in a way that you had never experienced it before. So like, it's kind of like whack-a-mole, where it's always a mole, but it'd be popping up at a different point on a board. So when you figure out how to not make the mole pop up in row one, it pop up on the top left corner in the back of something, you know? Like, so it's just, it's not something that you really avoid or stop doing, but you learn how to have tools to better manage and navigate from it through it when it actually does pop up. I think the other thing with self-sabotage is that as you grow, you learn how to uh, react to it and shut it down faster because I think the the big issue is that people get stuck in self-sabotage and they can be stuck in the season of self-sabotage for like six months or a year or years of their life and I'm like okay instead of me saying like how can I stop self-sabotaging activities from happening how can I maybe get back how can I get faster at managing them when they pop up how can I get bet met better at like noticing the triggers when they happen Versus me saying that, I, you know, so that's me like redefining what success looks like or redefining what good looks like in those moments of time um, versus me trying to say that I want to avoid the problem altogether. Because one thing I have learned to be true, all, everybody got problems. There's no human on this earth who is exempt from experiencing problems in life, experiencing problems in business, experiencing problems in relationship, like it's life. Problems will happen. So instead of saying, how can I avoid problems? It's just like, well, how can I just better be better equipped so that when problems happen, they don't knock me out for, for two weeks or that they don't take me out the game for a month? Or I think that's really how I've been learning how to define success around self-sabotage or problems is that not like how can I avoid them? It's just how can I get better at reacting to them when they pop up? <sighs> that was a really great question. Okay, let me see what's next. 
Uh, Renee had the, self, the same question. How did you overcome self-sabotage? Your girl has not overcome it. I don't think that's one thing you can overcome. I think it's just one thing you learn how to better navigate, how to better respond to, um, how to better prepare for. Like instead of saying, how can I overcome my self-sabotage? A, better question, a different question might be, how can I prepare for moments of self-sabotage? Like, how can I better prepare for those moments? I love what Kimmy said. She said, success is problem solving, not problem avoiding. Hello. Yes, honey. Flip it a braid. Come on, Kimmy, with the word in the chat. Uh... uh Rachel said, what was the biggest contributor to reaching a million dollars in profit this year? I feel like I want to like holler and bring my husband in here, but I, I don't know if he'll want to entertain us on IG Live today. <laughs> Honey, you feel like talking to the people or no? Huh? You feel like talking to the people or no? Maybe, okay. Well, if you decide to come in here, you're welcome. And if not, that's cool too, okay? Um, what was the biggest contributor? I think the first biggest contributor was, <laughs> uh, the first biggest contributor was definitely how I designed my business model. And, uh, because the business model is what was the initiator for my abundance and profit. So how I designed my business model was absolutely the biggest contributor and how I designed my business model is creating leverage. So anybody here who's in leverage, you guys are literally learning the framework and the blueprint of how I position myself to be in this position. But, you know, I think when you start thinking about how it, when, I, when the thought process first initiated, when honestly, when I really started getting in relationship with my partner, with my husband, because my husband is a huge into investing. Um, and I remember that one day when we first met, like early on in our relationship, he asked me, like, what is your exit strategy from your business? And I was like, that's a really good question. I don't know what my exit strategy is. Like my exit strategy was just like, just make as much money as possible. And I didn't really think beyond that. Um, and he was like, well, every business owner should have an exit strategy. And I'm like, well, you know, what, what, what might that even look like for a coach? Like, you know, he's like, you're not probably not going to sell your company. Um, or that's not the traditional route that most people in your position will take. So let's start to think about what your exit strategy is. And when I started to think about what is my actual exit strategy, that's when I really started to look at my business from a different lens. And I started looking at my business as instead of like, I used to look at my business as this thing that like consumed my identity. My business was my identity. I'm not a fan of people saying like, oh, my business is my baby. No, it is not. Like your business is a vehicle that needs to serve whatever the owner's intention is in the season of business that you are in. Somebody write that down for their neighbor. Like the, the purpose, your business is a vehicle to satisfy your owner's intent for the season of business that you are in. That is the purpose of your business. Your business is, is, has an identity and is an entity completely separate from who you are as an individual. Your business is not you. You, you share, like you are the CEO of your company. You are an employee to your company. You, you have a responsibility to uh, the livelihood of that company, but your company is not you. I don't have kids, but I imagine for anybody here who is a parent, your child, you may have given birth to that human being, but that human being has a full-on identity, has a full-on personality, has full-on goals, dreams, and ambitions, ambitions that are completely separate from you. 
you held, you held the responsibility and you initiated in a responsibility of raising this human being, but that human being is not yours. Like it's not you. Like those are two separate things. So this is, um, like when I think about, I think, you know, what are the biggest contributor? The first contributor is recognizing that my business is not me and my identity is not wrapped up in the work that I do. My business is something that I am responsible to. And I have to decide what the responsibility is of this business that I'm building. So that's the first, that's like the very first thing. And then when he started asking me questions about my exit strategy and, and you know, DJ is like, I know how to cash flow. He knows how to compound. I'm the cash flow queen. He is the compound king. I know how to make money. He knows how to multiply. Like it's a really beautiful, divine aligned dynamic that we have going on in our household over here. But when I started thinking about it like that, I stopped really caring so much about my revenue and I started focusing more on my profit. Because when I look at if my business is a vehicle that satisfies my owner's intent, my owner's intent in this season is to generate my wealth. I want to build my personal net worth. And one of my very first objectives was like, how do I build a million dollars of personal net worth? Like that was like a first milestone that I wanted to have. And when I made when I made that decision, it completely changed my perspective on how I was functioning and operating in my business. This is a huge you guys probably noticed a huge shift maybe about two years ago. When like I'm not chasing these tactics that a lot of these marketers online are teaching us. Because when you start to think about, think about your coach, okay? Unless your coach is me, then you guys know where my headspace is. And this is influences every strategy, every operating decision, every choice I make in my business is my owner's intent. But when you start to think about your other coaches that you follow online, these other gurus that you follow online, you have to ask yourself, what is their owner's intent? Are the strategies that they are using like like what's the reason why behind the, the decisions that they're making, the marketing strategies that they're using behind like the choices that they're making around their business model? And if people if your coach is only focused on or the person that you admire, the person that you look up to is only focused on top line revenue, yeah, they may teach you how to build a million dollar business, but they're not are they also taking it are they also teaching you the strategies and the operational processes and the thought process around how to build profit? Those are different objectives. So if people are only focused on, well, Jay, I'm trying to get to a million dollars in revenue. I'm trying to get to $2 million in revenue. My, my question is, well, what is your profit at the end of the day, sis? And secondarily, what are you doing with that profit that you made? So I think it's like, when I think about biggest contributors, I think first and foremost, it's like, well, what is your owner's intent in this season? Like, why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you actually choosing to build your business? And what, not even why, but really like, what is the thought process that's influencing the decisions that you make in your business? And this is why like, I wanted to figure out what is the leanest way possible that I could run my business to build a million dollars in profit. That is what influenced every strategy, every decision, every operating choice, every hiring decision, every price point, every program, every offer that I included in my business. Because if tell me if I can build a business that functions as lean as mine is, to build a million dollars in profit, that lets me know that any of these other like cute tactics, Facebook ads, webinar funnels, being hiring a million team members, all that will do is amplify the results. But if I can get here without webinars, without email sequences, without having 511 offers that I'm selling, without running paid ads, without hiring 17 people on my team, without doing all these JD partnerships, I'm like, what else do people be doing that they say you have to do in order to succeed? Without doing any of the stuff most people tell us, if I can do that in the leanest way possible, bruh. <laughs> I'm gonna be a bad bitch to fuck with. <laughs>
you know, like that was my mentality. That was my, <laughs> that was my mentality. But I think too, it's like, I don't knock anybody's owner's intent. I just think it's really important that you're working and learning from somebody whose owner intent lines with what your owner's intent is in the season of business that you are in. Because if their strategies are teaching you something that is not aligning with the intentionality that you have, the result you might get the actual result, but like it might deter you from the bigger intentionality behind what it is that you actually want to be doing. So I say all this to say, Rachel, like what is the biggest contributor? One of the biggest contributors was like having that conversation with my husband and my DJ being in my ear all the time about investing and compounding and like thinking bigger beyond where I'm at. Um, and then I think the second thing there is like being really obedient and being focused and putting on my blinders to make decisions in my business that actually aligned with the objective that I wanted. Because when I realized, and the thing is like, y'all, I did this, like this, this happened fast. Like my thing is if you can go three years, like I truly believe that anybody who's listening to this right now, if you have an offer that can demand a high, this is why I'm such a big advocate of high ticket sales because if you have a if you have a skill set that can demand you know $3000 or more for the service and you're willing to you know publicly share your perspective i can like i feel like there's within 3 to 5 years you can be in a position where you have a million dollars profit i truly believe that like i truly believe that and i believe it cuz i've done it and i know it i know other people who've done it but like the reason why i think it's so difficult for people to have that level of contribution in their business is because they're not focused they're trying to build a business model because they're trying to be affordable, but it's like, boo, you're not in a position to offer affordability. Like you broke, you, you, you two paychecks away from be, not being able to pay your bills. So like, you're not in that position to do that yet. You know, we be wanting, especially as black and brown folks, we be wanting to pour back when we barely have anything in our own cup. Like you have to, you have to put yourself in a financial position where you are so far removed that if you help somebody, there's no way they can drag you back down. And I think that's like, those are the things that really contributed to it is like getting clear on my owner's intention, getting clear. And then from there, like being ruthlessly focused and ruthlessly disciplined with myself about making decisions in my business that aligned with that intentionality. Like, so that means I'm not going to just sell, like y'all not going to see me all, like those years. I'm like, I'm going all in on high ticket because I, and I'm going all in on like making sure that whatever offer that I'm selling is like, I can demand that type of price point. You know, every one of my programs, you know, my programs are like literally between like 18,000 and 40 grand. And the reason why they are at that price point is because I, I know for certain that within the first 12 months, people will at least experience a 5x return on investment. And within two years, at least a 10x return on investment. So I have no problem charging $10,000 knowing that the people who invest 10,000 will make 100. Or I have no problem charging $40,000 because I know that the people investing 40 grand will make at least 400,000. Like like the value alignment is there. So I can demand that type of price point. I have the level of conviction and certainty behind it. But those are things that contributed to like reaching a million dollars in profit in a year is like getting clear on the intentionality and then be, making business decisions that align with the intention that I have. And that for me was building a high ticket a high ticket group coaching program. So I so not so there's like a like somebody write these down in the chat, okay? Cuz there's a couple factors of what put me here. So one I I focused on high ticket, a 3 to 10,000 dollar offer. So I'm I'm I know that I that allows me to that's a value game and not a volume game. I can work with a fewer number of people, deliver a high caliber, a high quality of experience, 
and, you know, not run this rat race of trying to enroll 50,000 people every month. Like I can just focus on maybe enrolling 50 people in a year or 100 people in a year and making a million dollars. So I focused on a three to $10,000 offer that was designed so that I could support a fewer number of people, but at a greater level of depth. So that was the first thing. Second thing is that I focused on a curriculum-based program. The reason why I'm such an advocate of curriculum-based program is because it allows you to turn your intellectual property into an asset. When you have a repeatable process that not only you, but somebody else can follow to get that exact same result over and over and over and over again, that now is one of the very first assets that you have inside of your coaching business. And when you're selling a business that is based on your intellectual property, Stop looking at your, your content. Don't look at it as content. You need to look at it. What, how can I package something that can be an asset? That asset is what gives you leverage. So I focus on a curriculum-based program because now my client results are not dependent on me, Jerisha. <laughs> right? I know I, y'all don't hire me because I got good skin. Okay? I know I do. Skin be looking good, honey. Okay? I got that rich girl skin now because <laughs> I've been investing in it. Like, you know, I'm hydrated. We be staying hydrated. Y'all don't hire me because I'm cute and funny, because my skin is beautiful, because I'm well melanated, because I can rock multiple hairstyles in one month. Like, <laughs> try me. Like, that's not why y'all hire me. So I think it's really important that you focus on building a curriculum-based coaching program because now that curriculum it allows you to remove dependency on you from from um, the results that your clients achieve. And that is something that is value. That's a valuable asset. Like if you were looking to sell your company, they're going to look at what are the assets that can sustain this business without the owner being present. And you having curriculum increases the light, like increases the valuation of your company. This is where I feel like I need DJ to come in here. Is that right? Ugh. Well, I'm. You know, like that is something. Like if you can continue to repeat the results without dependency on the owner, that's a more valuable asset for the business. So that's the second thing that I did. And the third thing that I did is I focus on organic marketing, permission-based sales, and consent-based marketing and permission-based sales. That's the third thing that I focus on that contributed to a million dollars in profit. And what I mean by that is, is that like, so when I think about um, focusing on consent-based marketing, risk reversal contents, like permission-based sales, and we focus on organic growth. We did not focus on, I was like, how do we get to a million dollars without dependency on paid ads? That was like a goal of mine. And the reason being is because I wanted to, see, I wanted to prove that if you, if you know that you can organically get yourself to a million dollars, you know that what you're selling works. You know that there's demand for what it is that you're offering. You know that that, that is a proof point that you have mastered your ability to articulate your value. If you can organically get enough people to pay for your offer and to the point where you make a million dollars. Because that, that lets us know a few things. That lets us know that how you are articulating your value is what drove demand and built an audience. If you can articulate your value that well, where you can organically sell your way to a million dollars, like to me, that's like such a proof point that demand exists and that you're effective at, val- at, 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 you're effective at your messaging and you're effective at your value articulation. So the moment you choose to run ads, your business will triple or something like your your business will like skyrocket because you know that the messaging is dialed in. You know exactly what to say. You know that demand exists. So that was the third thing that really contributed to me being a million dollars in profit because I, I don't have I don't spend money on marketing. 
Like, I don't spend money on paid media. Let me accurately say that. I don't spend money on paid media. So I know I spend a lot of time answering Rachel's question. Uh, but those are the top three things is selling high ticket, a three to $10,000 offer. Second thing is curriculum-based group coaching program so that my intellectual property can become an asset for the company and my clients are able to get consistent and predictable results without dependency on me, the creator. And the third thing is growing organically because that was a proof, that was a test that, that if you can do that organically, that means that you are very, very effective at articulating your value and you are, that's like, it's validating there's demand or naturally for the thing that you're selling. Oh, you guys are incredible. Is this helpful so far? Like, are y'all picking up some gems today? Um, okay, let me see the next question. <laughs> okay, y'all bringing the heat with these questions. Okay, somebody said, many of us feel at a million dollars will be free. Your first million or your first million in profit, at what point did you feel financially free? Oh my gosh. At what point did I feel financial freedom? I probably felt financial. I felt financial freedom when I was making like $8,000 a month, to be honest. Like I felt financially free because back then, I mean, shoot, I was just trying to pay these bills, have a little bit of money to take me on an international trip. Like I think I felt financially free at like 8K a month because my, but I've always been the type of person I, I live below my means. I've always lived below my means. I, you know, I, I paid for my car note, my first car cash. I was still driving that cash when I started my car, my started my business. I had no, I had no credit card debt. Like I felt financially free when I was making like eight to $10,000 a month, because at that point I was, I had replaced my salary. I was living way below my means. I still had a lot of money excess and I only had to work like 15 hours a week in the business to make it function. So there was like this, uh, there was this, uh, there was like this immense amount of freedom from like a time perspective, a responsibility perspective, and from like a cash flow perspective, that like I, like a, I was winning, you know. Like when you choose to grow your business, the responsibility to the business evolves and it, it it expands, it increases. And that was a really beautiful point in business when like I didn't have team members, like I was able to manage everything myself, making like a hundred, a hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year. Like that was probably the first time I felt free financially. Um, where I'm at now, it's not, it's not even like, <laughs> I don't even know. Like, it's not even, I, I think because, okay, how do I answer this question? I'm like, I don't even know how I feel right now. How I feel now is like, it's not even free anymore. Like, it's just, it's flow. Like, I feel like I'm in financial flow at this season of my life. Like, freedom, freedom, and the, I think when I think about freedom, fr the first step of freedom was not feeling, like, bound by any external body, external entity, right? Like, I felt like I could pay my rent with no problem. Like, I, I wasn't, I wasn't uh, tethered to AT&T. I wasn't tethered to my landlord. I wasn't tethered to my car insurance. Like, I wasn't tethered to anybody. Like, I, I think I was financially free when I felt unshackled from, like, my bills and my livelihood and like like my daily quality of life. Where I'm at now, <laughs> I feel like it is financial, like it's like a financial flow. Like I literally, I can go into any restaurant. I, 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 this is how I know things have changed. Like when I go into a restaurant, I never look at the price point anymore. I used to have this, growing up as a kid, um, I don't know if you guys had parents like this, but growing up as a kid, when I sat down to eat dinner, I had to eat everything on my plate. 
And if I didn't eat everything on my plate, like I, they would make me sit at the table until I finished eating all the food. And I remember as a kid throwing up because I had, you know, I, I've never been a person, I hated eating until I was full. Like I just never, I've never been that type of kid, never been that type of person. So like I eat like a bird. Like I feel like most times even now when I go out to eat, I only eat half my food. And it's not because I'm trying to be disrespectful. Like it's not because I'm trying to be wasteful. It's just like, I can't, I just can't eat that much in one setting unless it's like something I really, really, really love. Like <laughs> unless it's like a donut or like spaghetti or something like that. Like I can't, it's just, my body just won't take it. But growing up as a kid, I used to get in trouble for not eating all my food. And for years I would go to restaurants. This is why I, I would always eat the exact same thing every time I would go out to eat. Cause I was afraid that I would order something that I wouldn't like. I would waste the money and then like I'd be in trouble because you didn't eat your food. Has anybody else like kind of like that was like childhood stuff that I was like overcoming. And I know that I'm at a point of like flow in life is, you know, I'll go out to eat with my husband. Or I'll go out to eat, um, you know, with friends. And like, I no longer have that fear of like, I'm being wasteful because if I order something and try to try something new and expand my palate, you know, expand my, my food palate that if I don't eat it, I'm going to get in trouble. Like I go out to eat now, I don't even look at the prices on the, on the right side of the menu. Like I just order whatever I want. And there's not this fear of, or like this shame or this guilt of like, I'm wasting money because I don't eat all my food. Like now that's like a very lack mentality. But I think the mentality was because my parents didn't have the money to, to lose. Like if we, if I didn't eat my food, it's like, girl, this is all the money we had. Like you need to eat what's on. They were, they were teaching me that lesson from a very different point of perspective. Um, but I think we're, I'm in a place now where it's financial flow. Like I feel like I'm in a place now where shoot, like we got rich people problems. <laughs> like it's like, it's you, you get to a place where you, you used to pray for having all this excess profit, but then the new problem presents itself of like, what do you do with all this profit? How do you manage this profit? How do you monitor this profit? How do you make sure that this profit is actually making money while it's sitting somewhere? Like um, new problems present themselves. And like, then you start to freak out because you're like, I didn't, my parents didn't teach me how to have excess. It's like, girl, remember you was complaining because your parents didn't teach you how to make money. Now you're complaining because your parents didn't teach you how to manage the money. Like we, we be constantly complaining about what our parents did or didn't teach us. But it's like, it's a new skill set that you have to learn. Like you're having different conversations now. You're in different tax brackets now. Like you have to have hire different team members to help you manage your money and monitor your money and tax planning and investment strategies and blah, 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 blah. So um, that's kind of, that was a beautiful question, but that's how I would answer that. <sighs> Somebody said, um, I think it's Shakita. She said, what are some tools that you use to help keep you in the game when those whack-a-mole moments, those problems pop up, like when those moments of self-sabotage? Somebody write this down. It's probably one of the best tips I'm going to give tonight. What are some tools that you use to help you manage that game of whack-a-mole, problems popping up, self-sabotage? First and foremost, go to therapy. Hire a therapist. Get in therapy. Therapy is one of the best tools that I have invested in. Um, that money has afforded me to have access to is therapy, 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 therapy. I'm just saying that like 15 million times is therapy. Um, therapy is one of the best resources that I've ever had access to because it will teach me it. The thing that I love about therapy is one, it helps you become more aware of like what's actually going on. And secondarily, it helps teach you new tools that like you, you weren't taught as a kid. And I think for many of us, 
you know, it's, I'm new money, y'all. Like, I'm new money. I didn't grow up with this. I ain't grow up knowing nobody who had it. I'm new money. So a lot of the skill sets, a lot of the tools that our parents equipped us in, they, those were tools that allowed us to survive in the environments that we came from. So a lot of these behavior patterns, these reactions, these responses that we would have as younger adults, as children, what they were teaching us was so that we could survive in the environment that we were in. But if you are somebody who was like me, first generation to graduate from college, first person to make as much money as I'm making, like first person to move out of the neighborhood, like if you're one of these firsts, you are literally now in a new environment, which means you need new tools to survive in the environment that you are now in. And usually the skill sets that you were taught to survive in the old place may not be applicable to where you have arrived or where you are going. So it is like you have to learn new tools to help you manage your thoughts, to help you manage your reactions, to help you manage your responses, because the environment is fundamentally different. The environment is fundamentally different. So I used to get so mad. I, I used to be so pissed, like my parents didn't do this. They didn't do that. They didn't prepare me for this. There's literally no way they could have prepared me for this because this was not the environment in which they came from. This is not the environment in which they raised me in. So how can they prepare me for an environment that they have no concept of the territory like they don't know this world it's like getting mad at your parents not preparing you for antarctica when they ain't never left like mississippi or something like they, they don't even know how to serve like they don't even know how to function in the snow so how can they don't snow in mississippi so like how they, can they how can they prepare you for an environment that literally has weather conditions that don't even exist in the world that you came from so it's like, you know, that was when I was able to start really getting like forgiveness for my parents and forgiveness to all this anger and like rage that I had built up over the years. Um, exactly. Heather was like the Internet wasn't even invented when my parents were raising me. Like when we were kids, the Internet didn't even exist. Like, who remembers like dial up? Who remembers AIM? Who had an AOL account? Like, <laughs> like the Internet didn't even exist. So like this, you think about the school system, they were preparing us for like they couldn't there's no way they could have prepared us for the career that I have today because this career didn't even exist when I was a kid. So I think when you think about tools, you have to think about like what is the environment that I'm in and what tools will help and equip me to survive and thrive in the environment that I'm in right now. But therapy has been a really, really great one for me. And then I think just reading like reading has been a really effective tool. Probably the other good tools I, I intentionally put myself in environments where I was the only one. I intentionally put myself in environments that made me uncomfortable. And which a lot of the time meant I paid to be in those rooms. Like I would pay to get a seat at the table if that's what it took. I would pay to be in environments that I wanted to be in. I would pay to have a seat at the table. Like I would intentionally put myself in circumstances and environments that would make me uncomfortable so that I could grow and learn. Like that's something that was really, really big for me. Really, really big for me. Um... And I think the other tools, like just probably like strengthening my obedience muscle. I keep going back to obedience. I think so much of my success is because of my obedience to the calling, my obedience to the assignment, my obedience to like what I've been instructed to do. Those, those are the things like strengthening that muscle too. Okay, let's see what's next. Uh... Okay, somebody asked a question of software tools, companies you use to develop curriculum. Okay, I was literally writing a post earlier today that I did not yet publish about when should you hire a curriculum designer? Should you hire somebody to help you design your curriculum? And at what point should you hire somebody? 
This is definitely one of those times to like take out your notebook. Please type pop pop like whatever stands out to you in the chat for your neighbor. I do not think anybody on this call should hire anybody to help them design curriculum until they've made at least $300,000 from the program that they're selling. I do not believe you should hire anybody to help you build curriculum until you've made a couple hundred thousand dollars from your offer. And the reason why I say that, I think a lot of people, this happens even with my clients in leverage, is they prematurely hire somebody to help them with curriculum because they don't trust themselves. They don't trust their knowing. They don't trust their expertise. So they feel like they need to hire somebody to help them figure out their intellectual property because they don't trust themselves. And they do it prematurely. And the reason why I say this is, is when you're designing a coaching program, the first thing is, is that like your curriculum is just a documentation of your intellectual property. That's really all curriculum is. And I think the best way to figure out in what order you should even design your curriculum or develop your curriculum primarily is that you need to be willing to teach your content live. Like Think about it like college. When you go to school, your teacher has maybe built out a syllabus for you, but that teacher is willing to show up to class and they teach the material live in the person, in the flesh, like in live function, right? And the reason why I say that is because like one, when you become a coach and when you start to design a group program, you have to practice the skill set of being a teacher. Y'all got real quiet on me now. I see these hot hearts and stop popping up on the screen. Like this is just my opinion, okay? Like this is where I've noticed. And again, out of the hundreds of clients that we've coached, the ones that really I notice like their confidence grow quicker is when they're willing to do this earlier on versus trying to skip this step or hire somebody else to avoid the discomfort of teaching live. But I'm a really big believer that I didn't I did not hire a curriculum designer or somebody to help my curriculum until like like services that sell. We hired a curriculum designer after we had made three hundred thousand dollars. No, we had probably made like half a million dollars off that offer before I hired somebody to enhance the curriculum. The curriculum was already built. They just helped like readjust the curriculum so that it would apply to more learning styles and more um, adult learning styles. But I really am a, I'm a huge, huge, huge believer that when you start teach when you run a group program, you're no longer just a coach. You have now be taken on the role of being a teacher. And many of us have not been practiced that skill set of like teaching our thoughts and teaching our material to somebody else. And, and when you're just starting a group coaching program, you don't know what order in which you should design the curriculum yet. You don't know because you've never taught it to somebody else. You coaching somebody and you doing it for them is not the same thing as you teaching that in a way that somebody else can get the objective or get the result without dependency on you. So I'm a really big believer that you should learn, like at least run two or three cohorts of clients of you teaching the material live so that you can actually practice one, practice a skill set of teaching, practice you articulating your intellectual property and start to practice noticing the patterns at which you keep repeating yourself because the patterns at which you keep repeating yourself becomes the curriculum foundation. Because if you keep repeating the exact same thing over the exact same time, like many of us, we don't we know what to do, but we don't know how to teach it. And you have to practice teaching it more than one time for you to really like figure out, oh, that's exactly what I needed to say to make this click for somebody. Oh, I said it this way before, but like I need to say it this way to really make it click. So I think people prematurely hire curriculum designers or instructional designers um, because they're trying to avoid having like the discomfort of doing that work is what I truly believe. 
Um, so that's like, you know, and if you hire a curriculum designer earlier on, just know that you're going to end up changing half of whatever they just built for you. So that's the other thing. Like if you end up hiring somebody to help you with your curriculum earlier on in your business, just know that there will be a significant amount of rework. So as long as you're willing to either give yourself permission, if you're not willing to like just teach it live and like go through this, like go through that testing and trial and error phase, if you hire somebody earlier on, just give yourself permission to know that you're going to rework like 80% of whatever it is that you just built. Um, especially if you haven't taught it to like a lot, like a, enough people yet in the beginning before you hire somebody. So I just think that that's like, I think that's just the thing. So if, if you're willing, if you, if you feel like you need to hire somebody to help you with curriculum, just be willing to also give yourself permission to know that like you will be refining that curriculum. You, you will be enhancing that curriculum. You will be reteaching that curriculum. You will be redoing that curriculum. There will be a lot of rework no matter what. Um, so I think like as long as, that's the case like that's kind of like my thought process on it but like our process and leverage does not require that you like hire somebody to help you with curriculum you just need to be willing to like you have to be willing to fully embody what you know you have to be willing to trust what you know you have to be willing to teach what you know and you have to be willing to like improvise and refine that like as you go Um, but I really wouldn't suggest hiring somebody to help you with curriculum until you've had at least two or three cohorts of the exact same program promise delivering on the exact same result because when you hire a curriculum designer when you've taught it a few times and you already kind of know like this is the flow that it needs to go in like clients kind of get stuck at phase one and phase three that curriculum designer now can be so much more supportive with saying okay well what can we do to help fill those gaps versus like how do we just get your stuff out of your head um and they can be so much more instrumental to the design of the adult learning experience for you know if you've actually been willing to teach it a couple of times you know, I would say two or three cohorts, like at least, I don't know, 10 to 30 clients um, is what my minimum recommendation would be. And how we teach clients how to teach it live is like the minimum, like the, 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 the leanest way to do it is literally have a Facebook group and on a, on a weekly, bi-weekly basis, do a Facebook live in that group teaching the material. It can be that simple, like that simple. Um, the next leanest way is like, have a Zoom call, teaching your material, upload the recording of that Zoom call as a piece of curriculum. Like it's that, like that's literally my program. It's Zoom calls, they're pre, like they're, none, none of my content is pre-recorded. They're all live workshop trainings, primarily because I think about clients learn better in that type of learning environment anyway than some five minute, you know, if, you, if you're trying to build some five minute, 10 minute pre-recorded training, that's a course. You can't teach anybody how to do something in five minutes. I don't know who can. I, you know, you can't even teach a kid how to tie their shoe in five minutes. So, like, you know, there's like I think too. We I think sometimes we forget about like the adult learning experience and like how human beings actually like get introduced to a concept, learn that concept, first apply that concept, and then the learning of like how do I rework and refine this concept to a point of mastery. Like, there's a full on learning process that's taking place. So that's why I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of like, especially if it's a very new program, how can you pre, you don't even know, you don't, you don't even know how your, your students are going to respond to it, how they're going to need it to be taught to them in a way in which they can fully apply it and like get the result of the concept. So that, that's just my approach. And again, this goes back to the point of like, how was I able to remain as profitable? It's like, I only spent money on things that would drive my profitability. I would try to avoid spending money on things that was just trying to satisfy my fear.
oh, I did not know I was going to say that. But like, that's a huge thing that really has contributed to my profitability. Like, really think about why am I spending this money? Am I spending this money because I'm trying to avoid discomfort? Am I spending this money because I'm trying to avoid doing the work that's required of me in this season? Am I spending this money because I'm trying to look for like the fast cut, the short, like the the workaround so that I don't have to do this stuff. Like, why are you like, that's why people spend money on ads. I want to buy leads. Like you have not, like, are you even earning the right to gain that leads attention? Like, you can't pay for that type of stuff. Like, so I think that's another thing is like, just again, I'm like answering your question, but not because like, I use very simple tools. I use Google docs, Google presentation, zoom, a Facebook group, and like a platform like member vault or teachable. But how I've been able to document my intellectual properties because I've been willing to teach the same thing five times and like or 10 times to a group of students so that I could actually master how to how to educate them, how to teach them, how to, you know, yeah, I have an iPad too, Heather. Yeah, I do have an iPad and an iPencil and a MacBook and I got a Yeti microphone and I got a Logitech camera and I got a ring light. That's my entire business. <laughs> but, you know, are you willing to teach the same topic five times so that you can actually master how to teach it? That's what's required. Y'all are asking, like, can we just, like, give it up for the questions being asked tonight? Like, I feel like y'all brought y'all A game with the questions being asked. Like, these are like, I'm here for the questions. Uh, Kiera said, did you see more success once you focus 100% on coaching? I saw more success when I focused 100% on high ticket coaching. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Because I think it's because are you willing to go all in? Like, I think you'll find success on whatever thing you're willing to go all in for, for a minimum of three years. You know, so I told myself, I'm going to go all in on selling high ticket offers for three years with no paid ads and see how far that gets me. Like, are you willing to go all in on one business model, one sales strategy, one marketing approach, one mode of delivery for at least three years? If you're willing to do that, you'll, you'll make a million dollars. And when I say go all in, I mean, I went, go, I went all in on high ticket, so three to 10K. I went all in on our organic marketing, so not paid ads, not these complicated funnels, not JV webinars, not cold pitching in people's DMs, like organic marketing. I went all in on conversations, sales conversations. All in on people either having a sales call or having a, a sales through direct message. I went all in on one medium for at least three years before I was willing to change the medium. So I didn't like, I didn't, you know, I went all in. And then shoot, now you after three years, you done went all in, you made a shit ton of money. Now you're like, well, this doesn't work. Like, let me just keep making it better. Like, like so I think that's when I noticed huge success is when I was willing to go all in on one thing and every one of the core areas of business. And that was it. You decided to listen to today's episode for a reason. Call it divine alignment or intentional selection. But either way, you're here because you want to sustainably add six figures of new revenue to your coaching business. But maybe you haven't figured out how exactly to do that. You are ready to structure your business model so that you can sustainably add six figures of new revenue by working less than five client hours per week. You're ready to stop the constant hunt for new clients and you want a lean launch approach to generating consistent sales month after month. You actually care about your clients and you love to watch them win, but you don't know how to over deliver without undercharging. 
you've got the fruit, baby, but you don't know how to squeeze the juice. That's why this episode today is brought to you by my Leverage Group Coaching Program which is also called Leverage. If you want to scale your one-on-one coaching business without taking a pay cut by launching a high-ticket group coaching program, I encourage you to join the waitlist for Leverage by visiting jerishahawk.com backslash leverage. Once enrollment opens and you submit your application, you'll be invited to complete an in-depth assessment, helping you identify the specific gaps in your business today that are holding you back from sustainably adding six figures of new revenue to your business in the next 12 months. No more guessing what the problem is. The business assessment will tell you exactly where you need to focus. Do not waste another minute. You're literally leaving thousands of dollars on the table and you might be throwing your personal sanity out the window. (laughs) Join the waitlist for leverage today. Visit jerishahawk.com backslash leverage now.